And to build a community, it takes humility. It takes authenticity. It takes you to really care about the problem. You, it requires you to have this evangelistic view of like, I don't care if I can solve this problem or not with my product. I just so deeply care about this problem that I will fight until the ends of the earth to fix this problem. And even if it's not fixed, I will do my contributions to fix it. And that to me is the definition of evangelist. Thanks for pressing play. That voice you just heard is Sangram Vajari, and he's the host of the super popular Flip Your Funnel podcast. And this is the second in a four-part series we're doing on legendary marketing on Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real different conversations with the people uh, who have the courage to stand out. We're sponsored by our good friends at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com slash different. And while you're there, you'll be able to have uh, set yourself up for a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. That's netsuite.com slash different. I'd also like to tell you about uh, my good friends at onelifefullylive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. And we have our eighth annual conference coming up. Uh, October 12th and 13th, 2019 in beautiful Long Beach, California. And this is a great place to work on life mastery. And there's an incredible lineup of speakers, including billionaire entrepreneur Jeff Hoffman, uh, venture capitalist Cody Sanchez, and best-selling author uh, and podcaster and all-around legendary guy, the founder of um, the Front Row Foundation, one of my favorite nonprofits, John Vroman, a whole bunch of other legendary speakers, and somehow they're letting me in as well. <laughs> I'd love to see you there. Go to onelifefullylive.org slash clockhead, lockhead with two H's, uh, to learn more, and uh, I hope you get a chance to come and see us. Now, on this episode, one of the super hot, what I would call young guns in the entrepreneurial marketing world, uh, Sangram. And he is the co-founder and chief evangelist of a hot marketing technology company called Terminus. He's also the host of one of the most popular marketing podcasts, uh, podcast that's really blown up uh, called Flip Your Funnel. He's very fun and very smart. He's the author of a great book called Account-Based Marketing for Dummies. And um, I think he's emblematic of, uh, of the new modern kind of marketing leader. There's tons you're going to take away. If you, if you care at all about sort of uh, breakthrough entrepreneurial marketing ideas, there's a ton here. There's also a dot that's being connected, which is um, Sangram, as well as David Gerhardt from, uh, from Drift. These two guys, and I've seen others started to do it, um, when they started their companies, they didn't have a product to sell. So as marketers, you say, well, what do I do when I'm an entrepreneurial founder and yet we're not ready to go to market yet with our product? Both Sangram and DG, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, Gerhardt, David Gerhardt from Drift, um, built giant communities and sort of got in front of a set of ideas and topics um, and began to do category design. That is to say, evangelize a problem and solutions to that problem and thought leadership around that problem long before their products came to market. And so when they were in a position to actually get marketing and selling their products, they were viewed as thought leaders and category designers in this field. It's a very interesting kind of take on, on community and niche network building. 
So there's that and a lot of other things to learn here. So I'd encourage you to get your, um, your notepads ready. You can also go to lockhead.com, check out the show notes and key takeaways for this episode, learn more about Sangram's book, podcast, and his company, Terminus. And now, hey-ho, let's go. So on the enterprise, I want to hear your thoughts. Like, why, why do you think that there is such a boom right now going on in enterprise? So interestingly enough, if you go back to 2012, legendary VC at Sequoia, Jim Getz, came public mm-hmm. and he was, he was a little grumpy, I think. He said that entrepreneurs were ignoring what he called a $500 billion market opportunity, that being the enterprise space broadly. And at the time, Jim said that um, enterprise companies have twice as uh, twice as many enterprise companies become billion dollar category kings as consumer companies. So Hmm. that was back in 2012. And I would agree with him back then. um, You know, if you looked if you went on TechCrunch or whatever, it's like, oh, new fart app or whatever. Right. It was all this consumer (laughs) stuff. Um, and then interestingly enough, there was an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal uh, very recently, and uh, it was on the day that Zoom and Pinterest went public. And so it was an interesting juxtaposition because, of course, one's a consumer tech business and one's an enterprise tech business. Mm. And um, uh, at the end of day one of trading, Pinterest was a $16 billion company. And um, um, Zoom was $18 billion. Now, you know, there's lots of things that go into driving market caps, but I thought that was interesting. But more importantly, the Wall Street Journal reported that there have been nearly 50 enterprise companies that have gone public since 2016. And there's been um, 13 consumer public uh, consumer tech companies that have gone public in that same time period. And the consumer companies... Uh, had a median increase of 15% in their value. And the tech, the enterprise tech companies had a median increase of, let me make sure I get the number right here, uh, 126%. Yeah, I was going to say it should be like, you know, 5x or 10x of that, right? That makes sense. And so I have a theory um, about why this is the case. But before I go there, I'm curious, do you have a theory why enterprise technology companies are performing better in the public markets than um, the consumer companies of late? Well, I mean, a, a theory, just, just for, the sense, you know, for the topic, I think theory is that your job depends on it kind of thing, right? Like for example, Pinterest going up and down doesn't change really my job day to day. Zoom, oh my goodness, we're doing this on Zoom and like Zoom is like, you know, like a must thing right now for our businesses. I, I remember, I think I was in a, uh, on a, um, on a like group webinar with me and, and David Gerhardt and a couple of other folks and we were like, man, it took less, we were not using Zoom and it took us 15 minutes to figure out video webinar. And we're like, okay, you know what? Every WebEx in history, 15 minutes of bullshit on the front end trying to make fucking WebEx work. Right. And so we both literally joked on it saying that, you know what? If this thing doesn't work, we're going to go launch another company together. Like that was our conversation. We ended up and then Zoom, like now literally we walk in the conference room, you push a button and you are on, right? So, So I feel like 
all these different things, they have a, a kind of hype and then, oh, this is really, really cool. And then, oh, okay, so big deal. Whereas these things like Zooms of the world and others, man, th without that, I don't think how I can efficiently run my business. It's a matter of like running your business really well. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Some of these consumer apps are more, uh, let's say, vitamin-esque and less aspirin Esque, right? Yeah. And something like Zoom becomes a have to have. I mean, the first time you use it, you're like, oh, okay, this is exactly somebody really smart figured out exactly how it should be, and they did it. And by the way, that guy, that guy's name is Eric Yuan. He's an yes, guy. It's like what a cool thing. What a cool thing. And so here's my theory: um, that consumer businesses are hit businesses. Hmm. It, they're kind of like Hollywood or Nashville, or the music industry, and you say, like, yeah, I'll just pick one that I love uh, uh, of late. Um, you know, um, Lady Gaga yeah. and um, Bradley Cooper in Star is Born, right? Unbelievable yeah. movie. Two incredibly beautiful people, very talented people. You know, I love the music, and I love the whole thing, right? But, but the reality is there are a lot of people who are beautiful and handsome and talented and can write great songs and, and even can, can produce a great movie. And um, even when there's megastars, you do all the things that sort of if you were to go through the list, how do you create a hit, right? You can go through all those things. And sure, sometimes it yields Abbey Road or, or, or Adele. And then, um, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, fucking you know it's just a giant piece of shit that never goes anywhere even if the quality of it is really great and so i guess my point is the aha i've come to over time and i want to sort of pre pressure test this with you uh yeah, yeah. is is that the consumer business is a hit business and the enterprise business well there are qualities that are like that it's more of a pick and shovel business <laughs> You, that is a good that is a good way to put it i i would maybe add on to it is like you know pick your poison but you have to have it right like so for for example without zoom where did the businesses run of course they did run like i used webex and and all kinds of crap before this right and people still use skype and and what not to do it and as somebody just emailed me from an enterprise company i'm not going to name there uh, with their name, but they're like, Hey, do you have Skype? And I'm like, are you kidding me? We're going to be on Skype. I mean, you are a, like a, a like a multi-billion dollar enterprise and we are trying to figure out the Skype thing. Um, when and like, people, I don't even know when know, I logged on. When people ask me if I have a Skype, you know what I tell them today? What? Well, I do. And I, I still have a fax, but I never use either. <laughs> right? I mean, that's true. I have to, I, well, this is a customer that we're going to have, so we had to figure it out to, to make it work. But that's the thing. Like all these things, you, we all worked around and we know there was a pain point and we were like, okay, whatever is the poison, we, we're going to drink it. But now it has become a, oh, this is faster. We're saving 15 minutes per meeting and this is actually making everything better. The collaboration is better. So now it has gone from being a poison to an accelerator for our business. So I feel like there is something to that. The shovel is now in, in the house, right? We want this. It's so good. The other thing, and I'd be curious to get your perspective on this as well. Um, I think in the entrepreneur community and of course the VC community that's tightly coupled with it, there's this feeling today, um, particularly in consumer, that you should be able to make the thing within a very short period of time, 
uh, deliver it into the market, that there should be massive viral uptick. And if those things don't happen within 18 to 24 months of founding the business, you're a failure and you fucked up. Because, you know, we have the success stories that we all know about, the Twitters and the Googles and yeah. the Facebooks and yes. all that. Um, where And by the way, I don't think that's true uh, a no. lot. It's certainly not true with Pinterest, right? Right. And I think in the enterprise space, there is what I would describe as a more realistic understanding that, you know what? Yeah, you might get to revenue in less than a year. You might get to, you know, some decent sized bookings in 18 or 24 months. That That's possible. That has happened. But for the most part, it takes a couple years or more to have a product that is at all something that a business is going to run, even if it's a small component of what they do on. Yeah. So there's sort of an understanding that, A, product maturity, uh, security, scalability, the things that are you know, critical in the enterprise space, that shit just takes time. It just does. Yeah. And the same thing with, with category design, with the marketing, with building a sales organization, these things, you know, you're not going to build a world-class sales organization in six months. You're not yeah. fucking going to do that. Right. And so I guess my point is, I think on the consumer side, there's this expectation in the VC and entrepreneur world that if you're not a, a huge success and you know on tv and you know dating kim kardashian in 15 seconds then you failed and on the <laughs> enterprise side there's much more of an appreciation of hey this is going to take six to ten years for this thing to really get moving and we may work for three or four years before we get any meaningful traction and there's sort of a little bit more of a tortoise mentality on the enterprise side versus a hair mentality on the yeah. consumer side but what do you think well i mean <laughs> So starting Terminus, right? You know, prior to this, I ran marketing at Pardot, as you know, I was at Salesforce. And then when we started Terminus, the first entire year of ours was figuring it out. Like what the hell is the product to begin with, right? Like you, you understand the problem, and, but you don't know what the real product is and you're testing it and you're asking your friends and everybody to test it. And then you realize that wasn't really good. Like your friends uh, are not are the real customers. So you start quickly learning that your friends are not going to give you the best feedback. So you need to go and ask real customers. Oh, and if people who use it for free, they are not your real customers. People, unless you, they pay money, they're not your customers, right? So you start learning, like it takes six months to like figure out who my customer is, right? So I think the first whole year, I remember we were like in a, you know, three co-founders in a uh, makeshift kind of office trying to make shit happen. And after a year is when we started to hit, oh, this is what the real product is. We always understood the problem, but the product took a life of its own. And four years later today, Chris, I would say our product is entirely different. Are we still addressing the same problem? Yes, but it is entirely different. It's much bigger. The things that we didn't even dream of four years ago are actually not possible that we're doing. So it is, it's an evolution. It is yeah. definitely not a revolution as a lot of people consider, as you said, it's total evolution day by day, hour by hour in early days, but day by day as, as you grow. Yep. And I think the fact that enterprise entrepreneurs generally know that, I think that enterprise tech investors generally understand that, uh, you know, I was uh, I was on the call. I was on a call uh, last week with an entrepreneur, uh, who, and they, the company just launched, mm. and it's sort of uh, controlled beta or controlled advanced alpha, sort of where they're at. 
Right. And um, I was talking to uh, the founder and the head of marketing. And, um, you know, they were both sort of s- sort of dancing around this problem they were concerned about. And I said, what do you what are you guys really concerned about? And they were like, well, you know, we're not sure the metrics are right. And well, what do you mean the metrics? Well, are enough people signing up and is our engagement right? And, uh, they were looking for, you know, what I would call the glamour stats so that they mm. can turn around to their board and say, hey, look, you know, we're in private alpha and already 20 billion people downloaded and engagement rates are really high. And, and, and I said to him, guys, yeah. I know you're bored. No one gives a shit about that stuff. <laughs> that, 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 is, that is many months out in the future. What are we trying to figure out? We're trying to figure out, can we build a process that attracts the right people? You know, marketing, growth hacking, that kind of right. stuff. And then when we attract the right people, are, do they like it? Do they not like it? Do they like this? Do they not? We, we are in a discovery phase right here. We are not yeah. in an acceleration or scale phase. And, and it seems to me a lot of companies, and I think this can happen both consumer and enterprise, to your point, they get their shit ready, they drop it into the market, they don't do what you guys have been doing, they immediately hit the accelerator thinking that they, that's what they're supposed to do. It's like, build product, company, and category, hit scale button. Well, well yeah. hold on here, Tiger. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I'll tell you, like, well, for us, in when we literally, we didn't, we didn't figure out the product, honestly, again, in the first year, right? We were, we were kind of working on multiple different iterations of it. And, and that's, I feel now, now looking back and talking to hundreds of other entrepreneurs and VCs, we learned that that's the normal way of life, but you don't know in the moment when you jump in it with your feet and hands in it. We essentially, when we had 10 customers, Chris, our best thing that we did was launch this flip my funnel conference which we literally said, hey, you know what? We don't know the actual product we want to sell and we're not going to sell our product right now because we haven't fully figured it out. But you know what? We know the problem we're going to solve. So let's just find the top 50 influencers in B2B marketing and sales and not invite them to a terminus conference because that nobody cares about us. Let's invite them to this flip my funnel conference, which is all about challenging the status quo of marketing and sales. And guess what? Every one of them showed up on their dime. And at the end of the conference, a week later, we ended up with 50 customers who not even trying to sell them, right? Like it, not even having a product keynote, Instagram, not even. Presenting. That's why I fucking love you. <laughs> and it's that's a, that genius is, I mean, marketing, right? Yeah. That's called getting in front of it. That's called having a point of view. That's called setting an agenda. That's called category design. When you're teaching the world, the, the thing that people don't get is legendary entrepreneurs, legendary marketers, legendary category designers teach the world to think they want to think about things the way they want them to. And they become uh, real thought leaders against a problem. And what I love is and, and you know, you remind me of Gerhard a lot in this uh, way. Right. Because a oh, huge fan of huge fan of DC and DG. Oh, my God. Right. My heroes. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and, uh, and so what you did is a very similar playbook, which is, okay, we don't have a product yet. Uh, hopefully we're going to get one soon. Yeah. Every marketer thinks they're marketing a product. You're not marketing a product. No. You're designing a category. You're becoming a thought leader. You're, I love what, what you have this amazing quote you say at the beginning of your podcast. If you're not, yeah, in without, you're without, what is it? Yeah. Without a community, you're simply a commodity. Oh, could you say that one more time for me? <laughs> Without a community, you're simply a commodity. And, and quite honestly, Chris, 
if you were to ask me, Sangram, what did you learn in last four years of building a company, going from three co-founders to 200 people or building a category and all those things, I would just put that in that one quote, is that that's what I learned. I didn't, I, it's not about product. Yes, it is important to build. Of course, you're trying to do that. It is, it is not important to just think about, oh, are we, like all these other things that we think are so, so, so important. What I realized was, if we didn't have a community, we would have no chance to be successful. Like, and, and I look back and say, and, and, and again, this happened like eight months ago, a quick story there. Eight months ago, I was invited to uh, be in this closed, really high value. There were over, I think, $150 million invested in this room by this couple of VC firms. And there were CEOs and CMOs of this. It's a private event, which is why I can't share more details on it. And they invited me to say, hey, Sangram, can you come and speak at this event? I'm like, yeah, of course. I got my account-based marketing kind of cheat sheet and uh, usual kind of dance story. And they said, no, no, no. We want you to come and talk about how did you build a community? I'm like, wait a minute. Why do you want me to do that? So I, I did that anyway. And then I asked this probing, like, really, I want to understand why. And they said, look. 95% of the companies you're seeing over here are going to fail. We guarantee it. We know it. We are VCs. We have put money in this. There are only 3 to 5% of these companies have a chance of lifting their head up. And within those, if they're not category leaders, their valuation is going to make me no money at all. So if they don't create this, it won't happen. And they walked me through this idea of like, look at Salesforce. They created Dreamforce. That's their community, right? Um, they look at Drift. Like they created Hypergrowth. You look at Gainside. They created Pulse. Look at HubSpot, which are investors in us. They created Inbound. And this is a story that unfortunately of the 8,000 plus MarTech companies, if you just look at that, only five or six companies have done it. It, it, it boggles my mind. I totally take my hat off to you. I think that you, uh, DG, and of course there are others, but you guys are the new young guns of marketing. I, I, <laughs> I love it. I, I, you teach me things. You teach me things on your podcast. I want to get to your podcast too because you, like like uh, DG and DC, you created a legendary podcast. You used the Flip Your I appreciate you idea. saying that because I'm a big fan of yours, so it's a big deal for you to say that. Well, thank you, brother. No, but you, you found – hey, listen – you niche down. You found a niche. The, the name of the, the, the thing is really fun. Flip your funnel. And it's tied into the events and all that. And I just love the fucking fact that you did all that while in the background, you and your co-founders are going, hey, now, what the hell's our product again? And, you know, and, and we're figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, it's just a genius move. And I think this idea of having a point of view. Uh, I know you talk a lot as well about evangelism. I want to get to that with you as well. I believe that E and CEO stands for evangelist. I, did you change your title as well? Well, yeah. I mean, I was literally had marketing, sales, customer success reporting to me. And I was like, either I can be a full on operator of the business or I can go and do what I think I need to do right now in order to exist five years from now as a category leader, right? So we made a decision and I ended up having zero direct reports. Like all I have are assistants and, and executive, like and the board meetings and the 
that what two days where I'm fully dedicated to what needs to be done in the company. And the other three days I do what I need to do to have 10 X bets, like the LinkedIn partnership. Let's go figure that out. Other event partnerships. Let's figure that part out. Who do we need to integrate with? Let's figure that part out. Like 10 X bets that I don't need to drain the resources on it because those are bets. Um, and, and as you said, it takes six months to create a sales process. It takes like a lot of time to create product marketing and all the usual things that needs to happen. So don't want to disrupt any of that. And that's where other, my other two co-founders really are amazing focus on. I focus on figuring out what do we want to be for the future customers of Terminus. Yeah. And, and you're a classic evangelist. You're getting out in the world. You're preaching. You're uh, getting biz dev deals done. You're, you're dreaming bigger. Your, your stuff is, is further out on the horizon, right? That you can't, if you're focused on, if you're, if you're the guy or gal focused on delivering uh, the quarter and there's a month left, it's going to be hard to focus on a long-term relationship yeah. with a LinkedIn or whoever because the need of the quarter is always going to be the predominant need for you, as it should be if you're that individual. Right. Uh, it's why I think, in general, having sales and marketing in one organization in the tech industry, at least, and in a lot of others as well, is generally not a good idea because if you're the executive in charge of both, you're going to gravitate yeah. towards the quarter because if you miss the quarter, you're fucked. So yeah. I, I think the way you've structured it is great and your thinking is great is to become uh, a person and a company that has an agenda that's designing yeah. a category, that's evangelizing a problem, that's be, that's creating a community of people who care about these topics around sales and marketing and customer support and so forth, right? And just yeah. engaging with the world in a very provocative way. And all, all of a sudden, people wake up and they go, this Sandgram guy is everywhere. What what the fuck? What does this fucking company do again? Right? Yeah. And then, it, oh, it, it's a, oh, maybe I should, oh, right? And and this is a thing that people don't get. Everybody, everybody in the, particularly as digital marketing has ascended, they go to, oh, let's buy, you know, keywords and SEO and, and all these oh, sorts of things. Oh, it's yeah. like, look, that stuff matters. But what is the thing that causes somebody to go to Google and type in? Like, you know, so I'll give you two, two marketing or account based marketing, marketing platform, yeah. right? Two quotes that have fundamentally defined some of these thought processes for me. One is your brand drives demand. That's a quote from Tim Kopp, um, who's, who was the CMO of exact target when they got acquired by Salesforce. He was my manager at that time and he's on our board and stuff. He said something that I never forget brand drives demand. If you do not have a brand, your demand, like you would be spending so much money on pay-per-click and SEO and all these techie things to do, but a brand, I mean, if you look at Salesforce and all these companies, brand is actually what's driving. And then you use all these things like SEO and pay-per-click to convert them faster, better, and progress them. But it's, that's not what drives demand. The best pay-per-click ad is not what drives, it's the brand. So I feel like Every CEO and marketer should really grapple with that and, and struggle with that and figure out what they stand for because that really matters um, in the hearts and minds of your customers. And, and the second one is from Seth Godin who was on the podcast recently and Seth said, people over-index on this macro world. We actually live in a micro world. And I asked him to double down on that, like double click on it and say, hey, explain that. What do you mean? And he said, look, most of you should know what your total addressable market is or should look like. And you need to create things that only they are, it is so customized for them that they fall in love with it. 
And that's your job to kind of figure out. Don't try to be everything to everyone, which is what a lot of people try to do. Be so hyper-focused on your customers that you are going to be really like you're treating them with a red carpet kind of thing. So he said, it's not the macro, it's the sizzle of the macro that everybody gets attracted to. Like you said, people are looking for different metrics for it. It is the micro world that you need to double down on. So brand driving are demand. Are tell me that it's smart to niche down? Is that what I just heard you say? <laughs> You know, it's, it's funny, my buddy, um, Matt Johnson, who is a great guy, he was the original uh, producer of, uh, of my podcast, and he's got a great podcast called UX. Anyway, he, um, he, he talks about that in the world that we live in today, because of these niche opportunities and because you can scale in a very tight niche product because of the availability of technology, he said, what you want to become is micro famous, right? So in this yeah. very defined world that you care about, that is to say the prospects and customers that matter to you, your company, uh, in your case, you know, you're, you're the front man, the evangelist out in the, in the world, uh, you, you're, you have become micro famous if I could call it that, in the B2B marketing world, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea, I'll tell you a great example of this, right? So LinkedIn um, reached out and said, hey, we see you everywhere. Can you do a course for us on LinkedIn on the topic of account-based marketing? Now, like, think about that. Like, they have millions of followers, and they're now taking the LinkedIn course. They had me fly down to LinkedIn office. They shot a whole course on it. And then we, I mean, and they're promoting the heck out of it. There are hundreds of thousands of people watching that course, and it is about how do you do account-based marketing. And then at the bottom, like, yeah, go check out the book. I just wrote account-based marketing, and here's a platform that, that we, I'm a co-founder of, and that's it. So it's not a lead gen form on your website. That should so blow people's mind. People think about marketing. And wow. here's the other thing I love about that. As a category designer, when a major company, in this case, LinkedIn, connects with you, reaches out to you and says, hey, would you help us create some content? And then they speak the category that you're designing. When they say account-based marketing, Right. That's how you know your category design is taking hold. <laughs> right. Absolutely. It's so funny. Right. I mean, it is. I think those are moments of real excitement. And I feel like I'm constantly looking for those moments. Right. OK. The conference is great. The podcast is great. Um, LinkedIn course is great. I'm about to write a second book on uh, ABM. So it's like these things that I don't think they're part of your traditional marketing playbook. Like yes. no CEO, no VC is going to come to you and say, here are the five things you do. No. So it's a new playbook that you have to figure out in your own category. So maybe let's go there because I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that uh, you personally, I think that Gerhardt personally are great examples of you're the, you're the new model. And look, with all due modesty, there were people who said I was the old model. And so if I'm... Uh, the OG, you're the, you are the new G, right? <laughs> and so if I want to be a new G, I want to be the new model, modern CMO. And whether I'm at a startup, uh, you know, like you and your co-founders were, or may maybe, maybe I just joined, you know, as CMO of a, uh, of a company that's already up and running and having some success. What are the things uh, that you think that CMOs need to do today that are pretty different than maybe 10 or 12 or 15 years ago? 
Sorry. All right. So a couple of things that come to mind. You know, one is this whole idea of product market fit, which is I feel is now an OG conversation for me, is actually not as important as problem market fit. So hold I on. feel- Hold on, handsome. Can you say that for me again, please? Yep. The whole idea of product market fit is no longer relevant for early stage category designers as much as it is the problem market fit. What I mean by that is- I I want you to tell me. Yeah. I just have to get this out. Sangram, is it wrong for one man to love another man? (laughs) Dude, man crush right here. 100%. Dude. And yeah. A, it's a great soundbite, and B, it's so fucking true. I have, yeah. I, I, I have not been able to stand this concept of product market fit in the beginning because it, it assumes there's a market there. Category designers design the fucking category. There is no market, right? That's the whole fucking point. And so if you're yep. trying to find product market fit, by definition, you're doing something incremental. You're doing a better strategy, not a different strategy. So tell me all about problem market fit. Oh man, I'm like fired up. Like this, this is this this is the the fun part. And I remember in the early days, I used to say that, and I stopped saying it because nobody would get what I'm trying to say, and everybody would like like, well, no, we need to have 50 customers that that actually love it. Then we have a product market fit. I'm like, well, how are those 50 customers gonna know this is their problem to begin with? So the whole idea of flip my funnel, the the whole idea of writing a book, the whole idea of writing, creating a LinkedIn course, all these things are really putting the problem at the top and saying, do you all have this problem? Like everybody who has this problem, raise their hand. And when you see people coming to your conference, when you see people attending your podcast or events or whatever it is, you now know that there is, this problem is big enough for you to create a product and then you go find a product market fit, right? I mean, that is almost the path to well, you truly make become the a product market fit. You teach them, you teach the market to think the way you want, which is exactly what you've been doing. And I love everything you just fucking said. And and my dream. And I, when, when does your new book come out? September first. All right. So maybe you can come back. And we'll we'll unpack all the specifics in the book because this idea you're trying to promote, this focus on the problem, this evangelize the problem, this is part of my life's work. (laughs) And my dream, Sangram, is that is that is that more marketers, more entrepreneurs, more CEOs understand, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And the other thing, and I'd be very curious to get your reaction. There's this weird thing that happens in the human mind. When somebody identifies our problem in a very powerful way, in, in a way of, you know, a clear way that maybe we haven't heard before or haven't quite heard that precise or that accurate or that compelling or whatever the case may be, but they, they nail the problem. The, the way the human brain works is, well, if you just nailed my problem, you must have my solution. Yeah. Marketers spend all their time on, quote, solution marketing, when in point of fact, 95% of the marketing budget should be should be on problem marketing. Yeah. Oh, like, okay. Here's here's an example of that. I have never in any of my keynotes or any of my presentations has ever put even put the logo of my company. Ever. 
Like it is like no presentation I've ever done has the logo of my company. Even at Flip My Funnel where we are opening the conference, it, it doesn't have logo of my company. Terminus is a sponsor just like everybody else because we want to make this commitment to the community that we are all about the problem. And look, the product is going to evolve. Like as I shared, our products evolve so much. So if we fall in love with our product, we will miss the customer by a long shot. We would totally miss them and we would get obsessed with making the features and, and the right borders and all that stuff and try to fix a problem that doesn't exist. But if we fall in love with the problem, it opens up an entirely new array of hope and opportunities and then you get your customers involved in making the right kind of product. Like we have customers every single week coming to our office and we walk through with them our platform and they help us design the next set of features and functionality we need to have. We're not coming up with any more of that. It is our customers who's driving innovation for us. They are the innovation hub for our company. So it is, it is just like, let's fall in, like your problem should never change. Your product should, will change all the time. Amen. Hallelujah. My, uh, my bromance meter, I think just blew up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm like, you know, this is, this is what, I mean, if I were to like, this is what I want to really focus on in my after terminus world, because I feel so many people are just missing it. So maybe you and I do something after this. Well, uh, and we can do it during this, hopefully. Um, <laughs> yeah. The other thing I always say to people is, um, you know, everybody's talking about their solution, their solution, their solution. We use, the, we use the exact word in technology. Let me show you our solution, right? Those words come out of people's mouths. And um, as a matter of fact, I was just on a call with a, a new company that is in the enterprise B2B space, and they are absolutely crushing it. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they've taken a thing that used to ha require a ton of money, a ton of time, and a ton of resources. And with AI and all the new shit, they've been able to transform that thing into something that, that is much more effective and efficient. It is truly a breakthrough technology, right? So you, mm. you'll appreciate this. I get on a Zoom with them, and um, they, uh, they sort of tell me a little, you know, we do the tell me your background and all that bullshit. And then the CEO, like so many others in our industry, says, um, you know, they tell me a little bit about their product and their customers and all that stuff. And he says, oh, let me show you a demo. And before I can say to him, hey, look, I don't want to see a demo. He's like sharing his Zoom screen and we're in the demo. Okay, so I'm sitting there and I listen to 25 minutes of a demo. And look, it's impressive shit, right? But it's a fucking demo. So we get to the end of it and he says, okay, so, you know, what do you think? And what do you think about our marketing and, and, and so forth and so on? And I said, well, listen, it sounds like you guys authentically have a true technology breakthrough. And here's your problem. All you want to do is talk about the solution. No one gives a fuck. What problem does this solve? Yeah. And let me tell you, if people perceive it to solve, and then I listed off three different ways you could interpret his problem, your company's going to go out of business because nobody wants that. As a matter of fact, if you positioned it that way, the employees of your prospects, customers, or your, your prospects who you want to be your customers would revolt against the company if they thought about it that way. Mm. You, you will be the segue of your space. Yeah. Right? And I swear to God, it was like I cloned the entire room with him. He had the entire executive team in the room over the head. And he said to me, and these are, and these, by the way, are not, these weren't kids. These were all, these are entrepreneurs in their 40s and 50s. 
Huh. They said, you're the first person to tell us uh, that we got it backwards. And, and they got it. They said, you're so right. And I said, look, yeah. you're going to find traction with the early stage customers who, who this resonates with, but you're not going to go past that until you start to do category design. And right. so what's my point? The fact that you guys are doing this, you are so far ahead of 90 plus percent of the startups and the marketers out there. Now, I appreciate you saying that. And I wish I would, I could say that, man, we are so smart that we knew all of these things, right? Like, let me be very honest with you around the fact that I tried to do a Terminus conference and nobody wants to sponsor it or come and see it. So I said, <laughs> what if I call it Flip My Funnel? Everybody wants to sponsor it and, and, and they showed up at the conference. And so it was like, I bought it for eight bucks. The domain Flip My Funnel is literally eight bucks. I couldn't believe it, so I'm like, great. So I bought it for eight bucks for no other reason than that because we are a startup. We couldn't afford to put a 350 people conference together. It cost us about $110,000. Every single dollar was paid for by sponsors from even from serious decisions. For example, the company that builds and talks about that they sponsored the conference and they said, hey, this is so good. Can we sponsor the next four? And we're like, we haven't even thought about it. So we ended up doing four more conference that year because they all were give us a post-dated check saying we want to sponsor all of your conferences. And that too was paid for the entire year of $0 in marketing spend and like hundreds of customers. So it is not something that we designed or thought through, but we stumbled upon and we just took every moment and doubled down on it. Well, my friend, success is about failing in the right direction. And I love the fact that you tried to Terminus Conference and you, you discovered no one gives a shit. So then yeah. you, did, you did what smart people do, which is, okay, well, if no one gives a shit about this, what do they give a shit about? Oh, you mean they give a shit about breakthrough ideas and marketing and how to serve customers and attract customers. And then you name that, right? Account-based marketing. And, 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 and I was like, oh, what's account-based? I don't know what that, well, that sounds interesting. What is that? And then I, as soon as they ask the question, then you have a point of view about what that is and how that's different from you the way it used to be and <laughs> all the good shit, yeah. right? And now everybody wants to go to the conference. And it's interesting, you know, back in the uh, olden days, RSA did this in the security space. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Their conference is super big, right? Like they have the biggest conference, I believe, in the whole tech space around it. I, I, believe, I think Dreamforce might be bigger, but yeah. And the interesting thing is after the RSA conference sort of uh, became an industry event as opposed to a uh, user conference, the, the thing that I thought we, we were going to see is, oh, well, people, you know, the cat's out of the bag. People now yeah. understand that you have to yeah. do uh, legitimate point of view marketing. You have to be a thought leader. You have to have the more urgent, the more strategic, the problem, the more time, money, and energy people will, will, solve, will, will, will put into solving that problem. And people will connect the dot that that's what category designers do to provide, to create an unfair competitive advantage. Be, well, Nobody figured that fucking out. <laughs> why, why do you think, well, I'm, I, have a, I have a thought and theory on this. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Why do you think very few companies or very few entrepreneurs are doing what we're talking about? So here, here's what I think. I think it, it's in two places. Number one, it's a counterintuitive idea because what, what most people think is, oh, I see, I'm looking for TAM, right? I see yeah. a TAM of 500 billion or 200 million, 200 billion or whatever, the, whatever it is, right? I see I, what, what I want is a giant total addressable market. And then I want to compete 
for my fair share of a total addressable market by having a legendary product. And if I have a great sales force and a great product and I do some branding and marketing, then the fact that I'm in a big market with a lot of people who are already buying and interested, the awesome-tasticness of my product will speak for itself. I'll get some great salespeople. We'll throw some lead gen on top of that, and Bob's your uncle. That sounds smart. However, as you and I both know, that playbook that I just described there and everything associated with it is completely fucking mental. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of what Henry Ford did. It's the opposite of what Sarah Blakely did. It's the opposite of what Mark Benioff did. It's the opposite of what Elon Musk is doing, right? Yeah. So it's totally counterintuitive. So I think that's the first piece. And then the second one, you know, and I'll just call a spade a spade. I think most marketing courses, be they at colleges or be they things sold on the Internet or whatever, are absolute and total bullshit Mm. because they're all predicated on this idea of the purpose of marketing is to compete for share in an existing market category. When in point of fact, legends design their own market categories and nobody fucking talks about that. And so. So it's sort of like what you're doing is a secret black art that very few understand, right? And the yeah. rest of the world is playing a better game, playing a be- better product wins game, playing a game called I'm going to compete for share in an existing market category, whereas the legends are doing this other thing. Yeah, and it's exhausting. I think the other part is actually exhausting to continuously think this month over month thing. But here, here is my, as much as I love both of your points, I think here's a point that I'm curious your thoughts on. I think it actually comes down to what I've realized as I've shared this with other people and why they don't do it. I realized this one word that nobody said, but it, I could sense it in the room every time I, I shared this idea and why I didn't do it. And I, the word is ego. And I feel every entrepreneur out there wants them to be out there telling how awesome they are, how awesome their product is, how awesome their idea is, how awesome all the stuff that they did in their life and which has led them to be this awesome person that is like if they're number one in like, you know, the top list, all the stuff. I think it comes down to ego and to build a community, it takes humility. It takes authenticity. It takes you to really care about the problem. You, it requires you to have this evangelistic view of like, I don't care if I can solve this problem or not with my product. I just so deeply care about this problem that I will fight until the ends of the earth to fix this problem. And even if it's not fixed, I will do my contributions to fix it. And that to me is the definition of evangelist um, in, in a nutshell. So Mark Benioff, like can we imagine Mark doing anything but what he's trying to do for the last 20 years? Why? Because he became an evangelist of this idea of no sales force. Let's just move out of this thing, right? Like, so there, these examples are of people who so deeply cared about the problem that nothing else mattered. They let their ego be on the side and they came up with things that would transform the entire idea of what it means to build a company. And I really felt like most entrepreneurs I talked to about this, ego comes in the way where they want to be on the stage talking about them, their company and their success as opposed to the problem, the community and the the way it's going to make other people's life better. 
Amen. Hallelujah. You know, uh, my buddy, the legendary VC, Mike Maple, says he wants to invest in entrepreneurs who are creating movements. Mm, yes. It's about the movement. And then, you know, Jim gets at Sequoia, and I think it's a big mantra around Sequoia, is they want what, what they call mission-driven founders. And my buddy, Eddie Yoon, he says he, he m- makes the distinction between a missionary and a mercenary, right? Mm. And the truth is, mercenaries will sooner or later tap out. Whereas to your point, if you're on a mission, if you care about the community, if you care about the things that matter to the community, the problems we're trying to solve, um, uh, if, you're, if you're in the Mike Maples world, creating a movement around these topics that you think really matter, you know, to quote the Big Lebowski, this aggression will not stand, man. It needs to be a different way, right? If you're somebody who's like that, then, then that's what's going to happen. And the other thing that you're talking about that I think is so fucking important that people get so confused about today is everybody wants to be a social media influencer, right? Everybody <laughs> wants to work yeah. on their personal brand. And to your point, those are ego fucking things. Yeah. Legends are yeah. not working on their personal brand. Legends are not trying to become a social media wanker, asshole, fucking look at me, look at me, Kardashian, ass selfie taking bullshit, right? What they are doing is they, they care about the problem. They care about the mission. They want things to be different, and they are willing to go to hell and back to make that difference happen in the world. And along the way, yes, of course, you're going to influence people. Yes, that, that's what marketing is all about fundamentally, but it's not yeah. about being an influencer influencer or having a brand for the sake of it it's about serving the mission serving the community and you my friend are a a, a shining example of how to do that in a modern marketing paradigm and i i I appreciate you saying it and and to your point you become an influencer in the process of doing that you don't start i mean if i wake up every woke up every morning thinking oh, how do I I become an influencer? I will never make the change that I need to make in the world that I'm trying to. But if I wake up every morning thinking, how do I solve this problem? How do I make my customer's life better? How do we find other ways to make things happen? You you know, you you kind of unshackle yourself from everything that stood in front of you. And then you start thinking about creative ideas, writing a book, for example, like, you know, I wrote Accountants Marketing in 2015 when there wasn't even anybody looking at this as a category and we convinced Vali to come and help us publish this book in 2015. And now everybody's talking about it and, and I'm about to write a second book on it. And what was interesting in the six, four years of since the first book is every single analyst now is looking at this and saying, oh, this is a category. So what made me think about this is that, whoa, I was looking up to the analyst for me to tell where to go. This is, as a category designer, you have to come up with and educate the analyst so they tell the right story. So now I spent an inordinate amount of my time educating the media and the analyst on where the market is going so that they can start saying it because that's how enterprise people buy. So now there's a magic quadrant, so we want to make sure all those things. But now I'm educating the media and the analyst area which i didn't even think something that i needed to do you make me want to break out singing one of my favorite songs leonard cohen's hallelujah yeah, I, I i would love to break that out maybe we should add that as a track in the middle during this uh, this episode no hallelujah you figured it out I, i'm always amazed how many people 
I would say it's a vast majority of marketers, product marketers, even CEOs who think they're that they're going to go to. I talk to them about category design all the time. They're like, well, we don't design categories. Gartner does that. <laughs> no, Gartner. No, <laughs> we fucking tell Gartner what's up. Right yeah. now, you, there's a way you got to do it and all that. But but the truth is, you know, uh, Henry Ford did not wait for Gartner to design his category. Right. And the other way I think about it is if you outsource category design to your customers, to analysts, to investors, to the media, well, they might get it right. Or you might wake up with fucking Mike Tyson's tattoo on your face. <laughs> You absolutely, you know, this, this also is a big reminder for everybody who's thinking about doing something great requires you to push through some barriers that you have never done before. But if you don't position yourself, somebody else will position you. And that has been the number one thing that I never want to ever happen to our company or any company, right? If you don't take the time to do all this extra work that doesn't have the standard metrics of success that you would present to your team and board as an executive on the team, as a founder, then you're missing, you're actually depriving your organization from the greatest success and asset that they can have. And that's your job to do. But if you don't position, constantly reposition yourselves ahead of the market, sooner or later you will be positioned into a box that you don't want to be in. And then it's going to be a hell lot more expensive and harder for you to get out of that box because now you're in a box. And then, you know, it's, you're in a box. You're a box person and, and you no longer are the creator of that box. Amen, hallelujah, and thank you. <laughs> now, I know I don't have you for a ton more time. I did want to touch on another area you've been, I think, incredibly thoughtful around how to design a category and how to uh, evangelize your point of view and become thought leaders. You did the conference, but of course, Flip My Funnel uh, has become one of the most popular marketing podcasts and certainly one of the most popular B2B marketing podcasts, right? So I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, what are the secrets to um, becoming a legendary uh, and, and very well sort of downloaded and listened to podcast? Well, I don't think I'm even close to where yours is. So first of all, kudos to you for sharing and having a conversation and talking about other podcasts. That just shows your humility and your grace on like, hey, look, you know what? They're a great podcast and you all should listen to more than one. So thank you for doing that. That, that speaks a lot about you. Well, first of all, you're very welcome. Second of all, I think you do have a great podcast. You know, people always say, well, what's the, hey, what's the criteria for getting on your podcast? And I'll, the truth is, it's, it's this simple. Am I dying to have a conversation with this person? Right? So that's kind of point A. I, I was dying to have a conversation with you. I love what you're doing. Point B, you know what? Look, you have a super popular podcast as well. But here's what I love about podcasting. And there have been some outliers that this has not been the case with. But the vast majority, you know, for me, I was, uh, let's see, I was 47 years old when my book came out. Man, are you getting younger? Because yeah. now I was... <laughs> I'm feeling good. I've been training lately. Looking good. I've been surfing. I'm feeling good. Um, so the interesting thing is, you know, I had gotten to the top of the mountain that I wanted to get to the top of, which is, you know, tech marketing guy, right? And then I get to this whole other place in my life where I'm literally starting at the bottom as an author, and then about six months later, started the podcast. And so in this world of author podcast guy, I'm a complete nobody. Mm. 
And the fascinating thing to me it has been how amazing so many other authors and podcasters and, and you know, in, in some cases, incredibly famous people have extended a hand to help me. So, so I think it's important. Now, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think, you know, in this case, you had something legendary to contribute. But I think it's important for those of us. Let me say it this way. Bill Walton, the legendary basketball player who's been on the podcast twice and is a huge supporter of my books and out of nowhere, right? He's Bill fucking Walton, one of the 50 greatest ball players of all time. Yep. And one of the things that he is, is he's a legendary fan. As a matter of fact, the Grateful Dead created the Grateful Dead Fan Hall of Fame for Bill, and he's the first entrant. Wow. Because when Bill likes something, he talks about it. He tells everybody. He says, hey, the new Neil Young album is awesome. And, you know, in my case, he's promoting Play Bigger on NBC Sports and shit. I'm like, what is going on? He's talking about my book in the middle of a game. Incredible. And, And so, anyway, the reception that I've gotten from other authors and podcasters, coupled with the lessons of Bill on how to be a great fan, it really... You know, one of my big areas that I'm working on is I want to be a better fan. And like, mm. I love things. And, awesome. and you know, when I had like we just had Safi Bacall on, he's written this new book called Loon Shots. Unbelievable book. Uh, and I'm, I promote that book everywhere I go. And, um, you know, we had um, Scott Galloway's new book. Right. And Scott Galloway on the podcast. And he's an incredible guy. Right. In marketing. And the, but he's got this new book on happiness. And it was just unbelievable for me to have that conversation. I'm promoting the shit out of that book. And, and, and you know, m- many others in, in our world, in the B2B marketing world, my, my buddy Bruce Cleveland's new book, Traction Gap, he came yeah. on this podcast. We dropped it the, um, the day the book came out. And the fucking Traction Gap is now a number one bestseller. Wow. And I'm, I'm not saying it was just the, being on this podcast, but what I am saying is I have learned because I've been the recipient of it, it's really awesome to support the ideas, the creativity, the innovation of others. And I, I appreciate it when people do that for me. And I'm trying to be the best fan I can be. And, and I'm a fan of yours. Uh, man, that's, that's awesome. So thank you. Thank you for, for saying that. And I think being grateful is one of the greatest things that we all owe it to ourselves. I think one of the things that I've, I've heard, I forgot, I don't know if it was Andy Stanley or who said this, but he said, being selfless is probably the most selfish thing you can do. And the reason is it comes back over and over to you again. And so the more selfless you are, it actually gives you more back. Uh, it's just the way the universe works. Um, so on the podcast, man, I mean, it's a, it's a daily. And what I've done really is trying to stay true to the fact of without a community, we're simply a commodity. I've asked the people in the community, there are 10,000 plus people who are in the Flip My Funnel uh, email list and community. So every Tuesday, it's a takeover Tuesday. Somebody else runs the Tuesday podcast and they have a four part series and and I have it blocked for the rest of the year. So if anybody wants to do an epic, like we will do the blog, the graphics, the promotion, everything for you. You just find four amazing people to talk to on a specific topic and we would produce it for you and launch it on our podcast. So we just open it up for the community to take take the microphone in their hands you're, and be part of it. You're pioneering open source podcasting. Yeah, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know it has like balloons. So the day we started doing that, it skyrocketed a million times because now these people are promoting to their own networks because it's about them. And 
like people like Guy Kawasaki and Seth and, and uh, Daniel Pink and all of this. So now I'm able to start focusing on who do I really want on the podcast, right? And who is who are the top 20 people that I really want to have deep conversation around. So it's allowing me to continue the podcast, continue the conversations. There's every Thursday's ABM track. So if anybody wants to run ABM, every Thursday, there's always something about ABM and that's a constant thing. So the whole podcasting has allowed me to learn, grow and build relationships at a deeper level like nothing else. Honestly, if nobody ever downloaded a single episode of the podcast, I will still continue to do it because it allows me to have those conversations and it creates a flywheel content and ideas for me that I can't, I don't think I can work without. You know, I, I feel the exact same way. It's like uh, uh, the greatest volleyball player in the world, Kerry Walsh Jennings, who's also to me uh, just an absolute icon of American awesomeness as an athlete she's probably not going to hang out with me if I don't have the podcast, right? <laughs> Four-star General Moo Crystal's probably not going to come back twice and sit down over beers with me, but right. he is uh, because of the podcast. And the, to your point, the fact that anybody listens is a bonus. Now, I got to ask you just if you have your CMO hat on, your entrepreneur hat on for a second, in the context of podcasting, uh, when I talk to people and say, hey, why don't you start a podcast? And I try to encourage anybody who's smart, anybody who has anything to contribute if they have any inclination to write a book, then I think they should write a book and if they want to do a podcast. So I try to encourage that. I think more of that is better for the world. However, I do hear, uh, Sangram, people say to me, well, hey, there's 8 million pod. I think there's, what is there? Is there four or 500,000 podcasts now? Yeah. You know, everybody's doing their own book. And so, like, how am I going to stand out? And is anybody going to listen? And, you know, is, did I miss the window? Should I, should I wait for the mm -hmm. next thing or should I still do a podcast? What, what would your advice be to other marketers and category designers? Well, if that's the case, we should stop breathing, stop working, stop doing anything in life and just completely sit at home, be a couch potato and watch Netflix movies, right? I mean, that's a, a pretty sorry ass response from, uh, from most people because I feel like it, 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 it's not, it's like, for example, Flip My Funnel, if I look at Flip My Funnel as an event, then we would look at it as an event, but that was a way to open a narrative. So it's a different way of thinking, right? Flip My Funnel podcast I can look at it as a podcast, but it's a window for me to get into other people's conversation who are doing something great in the space, in the niche, the micro market, as Seth Godin said, and make sure that I'm in those conversations and bring the right people in those conversations. So we look at a lot of times mediums as a, as a means to an end. And I would look at mediums as a gateway to do incredibly big things as not, not as a means to an end. So it's not about the podcast. And if that's what people are thinking, then it's like writing a blog. There's already so much content out there. Why create a blog? There's already so many softwares. Why create a software? I, I think we need to pr completely flip it and say, well, the reason is because I have a point of view. It allows me to get my ideas out there. I, it's not about who, how many people are going to download this morning. It's about building this consistent thing. And the, the thing that goes through my mind is this, this idea that consistency creates massive outcomes. The podcast, when we started last year, 2000, like 2018, we said, we're going to do it daily and we have consistently done it daily. But this idea, the first three months, we didn't have many people download. It didn't stop us from doing it. And now there are hundreds of thousands of people doing it. But that consistency creating massive outcome is a really, really big idea. I couldn't agree with you more. It's people tap out early. Yeah. You yeah. know, I have a friend who's a New York Times bestselling fiction 
author. And uh, a couple of her books are being made into movies. And, you know, she's just had, a, if you wanted to be a fiction writer, she's having a magical career. And I'll never forget asking her, so, you know, you've had this success. So many people want to be fiction writers and, and yet it doesn't happen. What's the secret? And she said, I just never stopped writing. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Never, never stop doing what you love to do. That's, that's, I mean, I love to have conversations and I love to learn. I love to grow. And the easiest way to do this, even if I didn't have podcasts, I will still be having those 50 conversations. So the well, fact that I can record it and leverage it, awesome. And one of the things you seem to do pretty regularly uh, at the front end of your podcast is, uh, you know, it seems like you meet your guests in all sorts of different ways, which, of course, I, I, I understand. And you say stuff, oh, you know, I went to such and such a conference or I was in a meeting or, or I, you, you describe do you describe how you met this person and yeah. that it made you curious meeting them and talking to them and you were excited. And now you want to share that with everybody else. I, I, I'm right. paraphrasing, but you have this wonderful way at the beginning of many of your episodes of saying how how excited you are to learn from and share these learnings, um, you know, with this person. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a constant learning, man. Every event I go speak at, I hear, of it. I never want to go and be the speaker and come out. I actually want to go and sit and listen because I, I think I just have this insatiable, like this thing of like learning. Like if I can't learn, then it's hard. I actually, me and my son, we write this thing every night. We call it the heart journal. So every night we write these five things, heart, H-E-A-R-T. What am I happy about? What, what did I empathize with today? And we talk about that a lot because that's really, really important to understand other person's perspective. What do I need to pay attention to? So that's the A. And what's the right thing to do? Because a lot of times I don't do the right thing and I learn about it. And the last part is what, what am I thankful for? And that's what me and my son, we both would write our heart in our journal before we go to sleep. And that's the central thing. And it's, it's all comes down to reflecting on the things you learn. Awesome. I love it. I bet you're a legendary dad. <laughs> oh, I, I, oh, man, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anything else before we kick out of this one? Uh, no, I just say, you know, fall in love with the problem, not the product. And you will have a fantastic time making something great. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. It's been a joy having this conversation with you. Thank you, Chris. Woo! Sangram on the podcast. Uh, I'm so stoked to be able to, you know, uh, have these wide ranging conversations with people who are really pioneering um, a lot of smart shit, a lot of smart thinking in marketing. Now, speaking about smart thinking about your business, uh, my friends at NetSuite, can help empower you to grow your business by getting to know your customers. NetSuite not only is number one in cloud ERP, they have some powerful CRM offerings that connect to ERP. And as a result of connecting, if you will, the front office and the back office, you can generate a single view of your customer across all channels. You get complete visibility into online, in-store, call center transactions and interactions with customers. As a result, you can build very rich customer profiles based on actual behaviors and interactions. And um, those profiles and that data can be made available across all of your key areas, sales, marketing, support, and of course, finance itself. You can create highly targeted segments for focused personal campaigns that allow you to upsell and cross-sell your customers. Um, marketers are always trying to understand what is the true lifetime value of a customer. Now with NetSuite, you can find out. 
from a customer service perspective, when you get all this information integrated, you can not only deliver great service, but do it at a lower cost. And at the same time, improve retention while delivering a consistent experience across all channels. With NetSuite, you get a complete cloud business platform. And as a listener to this podcast, or I should say oddcast, our friends at NetSuite are offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Check out netsuite.com slash different, and there you'll be able to get yourself set up. netsuite.com slash different. Uh, now, uh, our next episode on legendary marketing will be with the fantastic Gina Bianchini. She's an entrepreneur, uh, CEO, and uh, she's the founder of Mighty Networks. And she's been a pioneer in this whole idea of niche networks for several years now. I think she's a fantastic gal and she's got some powerful insights. Sangram talked about building community and, um, you know, few people on planet earth know more than Gina about this because she's sort of the queen of the mighty niche network. So I think you're going to enjoy that episode. Uh, so, uh, be ready for that. Um, you can find us on lockhead.com and, uh, please know that if you, uh, even if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Overcast or um, uh, Spotify or any of the major platforms where we are available, we still don't know you're there. So the only way we know you're there is if you go to lockhead.com and you subscribe to our newsletter. The other thing I'd tell you is, um, you know, in the beginning, we were just using our newsletter to sort of tell people, hey, these episodes are out. Um, today, we don't really do that all, a little bit. But most of what we're trying to do is deliver you awesome content. And we've uh, invested a whole lot in creating incredible content to capture some of the key learnings from, uh, from this podcast. So go to lockhead.com and subscribe to our newsletter. If you want to send us email, blackhole at lockhead.com. And I'm at lockhead on Twitter and Instagram. All right. We would like to thank... The amazing podcast from our friend and today's guest, Sangram. Check it out wherever you get legendary podcasts. Flip your funnel. Play bigger. Instant classic from HarperCollins. It's my first book. Check it out. It's for pirates, dreamers, and innovators who want to learn how to create and dominate markets. Go to lockhead.com and click on books. Uh, now, if you want to get back the most precious resource we all have, which is time, why not check out my friends at bottleneck.online. And if you're in the B2B space, if you're a marketer, then I want to introduce you to my friends at Atranet. Atranet has been building B2B websites uh, in Silicon Valley for the better part of 20 years. Uh, check out atre.net today. And are you by chance looking for a beautiful home in Santa Cruz, California? If you are, I want you to check out my friend, Mike Locke. He's an incredible real estate a realtor. He runs an awesome real estate te team. Geez, you know, if you have a podcast, you think you'd learn how to talk. Um, and you can check Mike out at Mike, B-L-O-C-H.com. Speaking of podcasts I love, um, if you're in sale, into sales and marketing, the sales guru in Silicon Valley and beyond is Brian Burns. Check out the incredible podcast, The Brutal Truth About Sales and Selling with Brian Burns and another nonprofit I love, Habitat for Humanity. Their vision is that everybody in the world has a decent place to live and you can make a big difference in making that vision happen. Check out habitat.org today. All right, I need to remind you that this oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. Um, also want to let you know that this, uh, research suggests that podcast growth is about 70% predicated on 
word of mouth and social shares. So I just want to thank you. If you've been sharing the podcast, telling people about the oddcast, uh, it means the world to me and everybody involved. We must warn you that this oddcast is clearly created in a studio that does contain nuts. We're produced by the uh, nicest man in podcasting, Jamie J, edited by Sarah Parrish and Mike D, and show notes by Roanne Nostros. Remember to teach kids marketing, buy John's crazy socks, conserve water, and always shower with a friend. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Gary Vaynerchuk. Sorry, Gary, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your difference.